Welcome to another episode of the Metal Embassy Podcast, the official podcast of DCHeavyMetal.com. I'm your host, Metal Chris, and this episode is going to be a fun one. The previous episode was pretty heavy when I talked to the Salvadorian band Apes of God about the murder of their vocalist, so for this following episode, I wanted to do something lighthearted. The band Dr. Colossus is a doomy stoner band from Australia, and their songs, albums, and even cover art are chock full of references to the Simpsons TV show that will test any fan of the show's trivia knowledge. All right, I'm speaking to Jono Colliver, who is the guitarist and lead vocalist of the Australian band Dr. Colossus. The band is based out of Melbourne and is noted for drawing inspiration from the Simpsons TV show, with the members going so far as to dress as the Stonecutters when performing live. They have a new album that was just released on May 21st that is titled, and this is a long one, I'm a stupid moron with an ugly face and a big butt, and my butt smells and I like to kiss my own butt. Thanks for taking the time to do this interview, Jono. I've got to say I feel like a rank amateur compared to Dr. Colossus. To start things <laughs> off, I know you play guitar in the band, and you're also the singer. Do you write the lyrics to the songs as well? We share the lyrics out. I'll write a majority of the lyrics, and then Mike writes lyrics to a lot of the songs he brings to the table. He's got lyrical ideas to bring along as well. So, yeah, we share it a little bit as well. So what's the process behind that, since you said it's sort of a team thing? And your lyrics are very detailed. I've noticed each song is generally about a very specific episode or even a scene from The Simpsons. You guys just, like, have an episode on one day, and you're like, you know, we're just going to write a song about that right now. Or How does that go? What do you guys do? Yeah, I don't know about Mike, but that's definitely how I generally watch an episode. And one line will often stick out. And for some reason, it kind of jumps out to me like a hook or, I guess, a pop chorus or something. And so I'll sing a line from the show over and over a little bit until it kind of locks into a chorus or something like that. So for me, it often comes from a phrase first, and I'll attach it to riffs that we might already have in the bank, or in the case of Pick-A-Bar, it was writing the riff for that line. So the script came first, influenced the lyrics, and then the riff. So... I've grown up watching The Simpsons, and I definitely understand the appeal of the show as an American, since it's basically a satire on the American experience. But that leaves me wondering, what is it about The Simpsons that appeals so much to people in Australia that several of you would form a band based on the show? Yeah, I think Australians' identity is pretty linked to America's, probably most of the Western world. England's probably the same, but we generally grew up through a lens of America. And so in some ways, there's Americanisms that we wouldn't have got. We wouldn't have understood the reference when we were kids. But we also would have, I guess, seen as a bit of a piss take on America as we grew up as well. And I think particularly that episode with Tobias in Australia, I guess it illustrates how far off the mark Americans can be when they stereotype Australia. I kind of think it illustrates how off the mark we are when we stereotype America as well. You have this idea of what somewhere is like, but it's never really like that. We only grew up with really American cartoons so it was part of our youth as well, even though we weren't American. Yeah, so the episode you're speaking of was Bart versus Australia, which is season six, episode 16, that aired first February 19th of 1995. I've done my homework for this. Now, I remember well that episode was quite controversial at the time it aired, and apparently it angered a lot of people in Australia. So it sounds like you think it was just kind of funny, though. But what is your take on that episode? 
I mean, 1995, the internet was just rearing its head and probably wasn't in many people's home. So I guess our experiences of how the rest of the world sees us was probably very young. Nowadays, everyone knows what anywhere's like. We can do this. We can Skype across the countries. I think maybe back then, maybe our identity was a little bit more sensitive because this was the biggest show in the world. It was maybe our opportunity to shine on the rest of the world stage and they (laughs) totally missed the mark. I don't even know how to describe how it makes Australia look, but it's sort of just like a barren (laughs) prison colony, which in a way it is. Our ideas of your culture when we were growing up was probably a little bit distorted too. (laughs) Well, the Simpsons did a pretty good job of parodying it. I mean, there were so many just basic things. And one of the things is that I feel the show is so old, a lot of it hasn't held up in that sense. Like a lot of the characters and stuff are based off of America in like the 90s. And the show is still going on, but some of these people are really like kind of stuck in the 90s, some of the characters and stuff. And one thing I was going to ask also about that is on the new album, there's a track called The Hummingbird of Bengal about Apu, who's the Quickie Mart clerk. What do you think about the producers of The Simpsons retiring his character? And have you seen the Problem with Apu documentary? I haven't seen the Problem with Apu documentary. I'll add that to my list and watch it immediately because I've been meaning to. The track does sort of play with the idea of stereotyping and explores what would Apu be if he wasn't that character. Like, if his voice was an American clutch-style vocal, you know, all-American hero kind of approach. And your question about changing the voice actor, it's a tough one. I guess I'm a progressive at heart, so I'm kind of like, all change that avoids being insensitive to another culture is good, but I wonder whether just changing a voice actor in his situation does that fully. It's a tough one because Apu's character probably, much in the way that the Australia episode introduced Americans to some Australian things, albeit in a sort of distorted way, I'm sure that Apu's character and his family introduced white American audiences to some Indian culture points and like Hinduism and Vishnu and things like this. But I guess it was from a white point of view so it's always going to be a little bit distorted and probably just miss the mark sometimes but I don't get nostalgic about voice actors or things like that so those episodes are of their time they're never going to change I don't really care what the show does from now on I'm not that attached to the modern day Simpsons so I didn't lose any sleep over it put it that way but it was definitely interesting to hear all the points of view and how angry people got when that changed you know the world's gone mad Everyone's gone crazy. How can you change the voice actor? But yeah, I think it started a good conversation and I don't think the world's gone mad and I don't think PC is taking over everything. I just think it's just an inevitable change. Yeah, I think so too. I think part of Apu also is he's a South Asian Indian, but he's also an example of the immigrant life in America. You know, people often come here from other countries and work awful jobs in terrible hours for terrible wages. And even in the song, you have that one line. <laughs> it always makes me laugh. The, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. At this job, you will be shot at. You know, <laughs> When he was telling Homer on that episode where, uh, where Homer was working there with him. On one hand, it is a commentary on the way that these characters and people in America are being treated that are immigrants a lot of times. And I think a lot of middle-class white Americans, you don't really see that outside of the guy at the Quickie Mart, the 7-Eleven or whatever. 
But you don't know that guy. You don't know his history. And I think they did add a whole background to Apu that you don't usually see when you see these people in your day-to-day life. Yeah, you're right. Even if it wasn't super in-depth, it definitely did explore that his family life would be very different and that his beliefs play a part in his life and things like that, which is very important. All right. So one thing I really like about the new album is the album cover, which is sort of parody of the Eric Roper classic artwork for the Sleep Dope Smoker reissue. Except that one has, instead of the Weedian guys on the cover, it's got Otto and Barney as the Weedians. So whose idea was it for that cover? It's pretty great. <laughs> I guess at the end of the day, the idea of the cover came from Glenn Smith, who's a genius artist who resides in Sydney. He's done all our T-shirt artwork since the beginning. We wanted a cover that was reminiscent of where scale is played on. So most of the time I'll try and look for like the most used style of something in our genre. We're called Doom because a couple of our songs were kind of doomy, but we're not really a Doom band. But the Doom genre loves to have these covers that are hand-painted, you know, like Bell Witch's cover and Elder and all these sorts of bands where there's like monolithic scenery and then it dwarfs little human figurines somewhere in there kind of gives this idea of scale and grandiosity. And so I was like, we need to do a cover like that that looks really serious because we're going to call this album I'm a Stupid Moron with an Ugly Face <laughs> and a Big Butt. My butt smells and I like to kiss my own butt. So to combining those two ideas will be ridiculous and that's what we'll do. So we hit up Roper because we were like, let's see if he can do an artwork that might suit it. And this was the idea of going down this sort of serious path we chatted to the crew that did that Bellwitch cover, same deal, just sort of finding out how available they'd be, how much it would cost to do like a big piece. These guys are all incredible painters. Then we also hit up Gleno. We were just like, well, let's just see what Gleno has in mind. And Gleno was just like, yeah, here's a rough draft. What do you think? And he just started. We are like, let's make it reminiscent of these covers. And he just came straight back. He literally parodying that sleep cover. And we just lost it, just cracking up laughing. So we were like, that's the one. We'll just use that. That's the only one that we've cracked up laughing at and the most ridiculous, blatant piss take. So it was perfect. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. You're talking about the Mirror Reaper album from Bell Witch, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that art. Yeah, it's great. Um, In hindsight, I guess that style, it would have confused a little bit. It would have been interesting to see, like, Eric Roper or someone actually try to draw a Simpsons character, though. (laughs) One thing I want to ask also is, why is the band named after Dr. Colossus? He's a pretty obscure character, and with so many classic characters everyone knows on The Simpsons, it's kind of an odd choice, I figure. Is there a reason you picked him over someone that might be, not even someone in the main family, like Lisa or, or Homer or somebody, but, you know, they got the Chief Wiggum and Apu and all these other characters everybody knows. Dr. Colossus, you got to kind of be a real Simpsons fan to even know who he is. I think that was part of the appeal early on, and it was really short conversation. Nath and I started the band as a duo, and the idea was just to be a big, dumb, stupid, monolithic doom band, which we never really ended up doing. The band name had to be something colossal or something huge, And so we were just like, well, what about Dr. Colossus? He's that character on The Simpsons. 
and the sort of logical next step was like, well, let's just make every lyric based on an episode of The Simpsons. And that was it. It wasn't sort of like, oh, that's a genius idea. It was just like, yeah, that's what we'll do. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there are some other Simpsons-themed bands. I think the most prominent is that Ned Flanders-themed band, Oakley Doakley, which I believe you guys toured Australia with at some point. You guys formed a good five years before they existed. So are you pretty much the original Simpsons-themed band? Do you know more of these bands? Is this something you think there's going to be more of coming around? Because I know a couple other. There's one in Spain called Zutroy, and there's a Mr. Plow band, and there's a couple others. Yeah, there's one over here called Eat the Damn Orange, too. I don't think we're the original. I know that there's been a couple of others that have put out almost concept Bandcamp releases, like grindcore and hardcore bands that you can't decipher lyrics because it's all sort of screamed. And that's kind of the joke as well. That's the joke. We're not the original. And I think that it's just that we managed to sort of stick it out for so long. The idea wasn't just to sort of do a release. We want to do some live stuff. We want to keep just playing as a band. So I think because we've absolutely just thrown the last few years at it is the only reason why more people have heard us. Whereas I think a lot of these other bands have done better things with their lives. They've just put out a joke record and then they've gone and done more constructive life pursuits. (laughs) Well, I got to say there is something fun about it. You know, it's cool to see the different song titles and try to figure out what their references to. And it's something more to do than just listen to the song. It's like a mystery almost each song to figure out, you know, oh yeah, what was that a reference to? And what does that line mean? I know that episode. And I think there's something fun about that that you guys do. And there's a lot of bands named after like a Simpsons reference, but then their songs don't have anything to do with it also. Do you Fall think... Fall Out Boy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fall Out Boy's a good one. Evergreen Terrace. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. So do you see yourselves ever like i don't know maybe covering a song or something from the show you know they had the band Covercraft, and then there's the b sharps and you know fictitious bands that were on the show but there's plenty of other music that's in the simpsons as well even like the monorail song or something like that you know yeah absolutely yeah i think we've talked about doing that a lot i think what will end up happening is we'll do a ep release where we play around with a few of those ideas we also had a friend of mine who's a really good songwriter, wrote us a Dr. Colossus song at one point. He was like, I've written this song in your genre, and if you ever want to use it, go for it. And often I'm like, oh, it doesn't really interest me that much because I don't feel ownership over this song. Or I don't feel invested emotionally. But that song was incredible, and I actually love the choruses in it. One day we'll put that on an EP. So I think there'll be an EP at some point where we have actual covers from songs from The Simpsons. Yeah, it'd be amazing to do something with Danny Elfman or something kind of really left of field like that. Almost like a subversive nod to the musical depth of the show as well. So you talked about not being a Doom band so much. And one of the things I actually thought was kind of cool is on the Space Coyote song on the new album which is about that famous episode where Homer was on, like, peyote, I think it was, uh, doing some sort of spirit journey, which was Season 8, Episode 9, The Mysterious Voyage of Homer. The thing that I thought was really cool about that is you kind of have this, like, desert rock sound for this scene that was all taking place in the desert, you know. Uh, It's certainly not very doomy. It's, like, very spacey desert rock, and I thought that really fit in really well. I do see what you mean by you don't fit the doom genre so cookie cutter, but I wouldn't say you're straight up stoner band either. 
So what, though, is the stoner and doom scene in Australia like? You know, I know a few bands over there like Hypergiant and Holy Serpent. You guys play with some of these other bands? Is this a scene that a lot of people come out to, or is this something just on the fringe, or what, what's it like over there? It's um, Well, Australia is very small. We've got five major capital cities. You've got 50. So the size of the scene, like Hypergiant, Holy Serpent, we know those guys and have played shows with those guys. I guess most people know each other. Most of the bands have seen the other bands live or played shows with them. I think maybe like five years ago, it was a bit hyped. There was a little bit of hype and boost in popularity. I use the word popularity lightly, but there was a bit of a sort of hype in interest in the scene. And maybe even the word doom and doom bands had a bit of a extra layer of cool for some reason, which I think is probably past. For a while there, it was a really hot pot. And now I think COVID has probably reset some stuff. We're in this nomad's land at the moment. Tons of bands have got records. You guys would be the same. There'd be tons of bands that have records ready to go or just released, but no touring. So scenes are kind of like reshuffling. So have you guys not been touring at all or or playing shows or anything at all? We had a tour booked. It starts next week and Melbourne just had another outbreak. So we're currently in a lockdown for another seven days. So that knocks us out. After I get off this call with you, I'll be going through the process of cancelling that start of that tour. So we'd been playing the odd show here and there, but it's just like waiting for the all clear wherever we're going. So it's not enough regularity to actually really build momentum. We're just lucky that we have a release that people can listen to that while we can't tour. Are you familiar with the New Zealand-based band Beast Wars? Very familiar with them. Yeah. I interviewed their singer for one of the episodes of this before, too, because he's got that crazy story about going through chemo and they recorded a new album and everything. But And this is a couple months ago when I interviewed him. They said in New Zealand they were touring already, just the country. You know, they weren't going out of the country. And he said every show's a sellout. Every show, people have been locked up, and they're so hungry to go out and do stuff. He's like, people just want to go out. So hopefully that happens around here, too, and it's good for bands getting back on their feet. Like you're saying, it sounds like the Doom thing kind of died down. But on the other hand, if everybody starts getting out and playing shows again, it might just come right back up. So hopefully... We saw a little bit of that too. I saw that in Melbourne. We had shows come back and we were in the middle of bands absolutely announcing big tours and going on tours again. And people were just ready for it. The shows were ready to go. Everyone was just having a good time. It was like Zion in the Matrix. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think there's just going to be a few hiccups in the way before it's back to normal. But yeah, you're right. It'll come back stronger. That's what I'm hoping. All right, so your songs seem to all be inspired by the 90s golden era of The Simpsons. And I know you said earlier you're not a huge fan of the newer stuff. Are there any newer episodes, like even in the last 20 years, that you like that you might end up doing a song about or anything? I won't discount it. I would never say never. I guess a big part of it is the nostalgia for me and, like, the emotional response to watching those shows. And I kind of just feel like that is the key to good songwriting. If it's got a bit of sweet, slight bit of nostalgia, um, some sadness in there as well, then it will be more potent to whoever's listening to it. I'm not opposed to it. And I know that Mike is definitely more familiar with later episodes than I am. So Mike's songwriting may also reference later bits and pieces too. So I got to ask then, what is your favorite episode of The Simpsons? Everyone asks it. 
I think probably it's a real split. I love the Poochie episode so much because it's so self-referential to the writing of the show itself and how a writing room operates or doesn't operate. But maybe Last Exit to Springfield, that was almost like the sort of aha moment for starting the band. That is just like wall-to-wall gags. And every time I go back and watch it, I'm kind of just like, holy shit, there's so much in this. And it still works as an episode. Like, there's still narrative. And all of those episodes where they work as a story at somehow, even though it's just like rapid-fire gags. I think more and more that Poochie episode is just like, the absurdity of that is what I am drawn to. I interviewed a Star Wars-themed band from Poland called Bantha Rider on one of the earlier episodes of the Metal Embassy, and one concern that he had was that Disney could essentially sue them out of existence on a whim. Are you worried about Disney possibly doing that to you guys at some point? Because Disney owns Simpsons now. Yeah. I mean, everything's got to die, doesn't it? If that's the way we went out, that's cool. I think that would reflect pretty badly on them. Disney's so abstracted now from, like, Fox and from the writers and showrunners of The Simpsons that even if they were all on side with us, it doesn't mean Disney would be. It doesn't really scare me. We're not a financially successful band, so they can't get anything out of us. And at the end of the day, it's only going to make people want the music more if it's been banned. (laughs) I hope that never happens, but if it does, it's not the end of the world. All right, so one thing I like to do on every episode of the show is I like to actually give an album to the person I'm interviewing from a local band from my area. It's part of the Metal Embassy exchange of music and metal. So there's a local band called Caustic Casanova, and they put out an album called God How I Envy the Deaf, which is a pretty funny name for a music album, I believe. Now, they're not Simpsons or any other TV show themed. I don't have a local band that has a theme like that, but... They do kind of have a silly aspect to it that kind of reminded me of you guys a little bit, and they're pretty good, too. So when we get off this Skype call here, I will gift you their album on Bandcamp. It's just my way of saying thank you for doing the interview with me and in a way to spread the metal both ways, you know. That's a great um, idea. Yeah, right. And hopefully, if you ever play around here, maybe you'll be sharing the stage with them, so that'd be cool. You think you'll ever come to America, even like a festival or anything? Yep, definitely. One day, not too far away, we will come over. Yeah, that's great. I hope to see you then. Now, my last question is always about the song that we're going to play when the interview's over here. For this one, I asked if we could play the Pick a Bar song, which is based off of the episode Brother from the Same Planet, which was season four, episode 14 from February 4th, 1993, when it first aired. It's a pretty ridiculous episode to people that haven't seen it. Homer has forgotten to pick up Bart from, I think, soccer practice or some sort of sports practice. And he's trying to remind himself he's got something to do and he can't remember what it is. He's hearing all these things like the dog is barking, Bart, Bart, basically out of him. He's got this thing going in his head. He's like, what the hell is pick a bar? What the hell is pick a bar? And it's his brain trying to tell him pick up Bart. And then eventually he remembers and he runs out the door naked. It's ridiculous. But is there anything you would like to say about this song? It's got a super awesome riff in it, and that's really why I wanted to pick it. It's super catchy, super fun. So anything you want to say about how this song was put together or any behind-the-scenes notes you want to add to it? 
I, I guess it was just I deliberately tried to write a riff that was as head swinging as I could, and it was one of those tracks that we wrote to play live. We had a lot of slow tracks and some fast tracks on the record, and I just wanted a track that was just like a punching, solid, steady kind of bedrock of a riff. So that was my attempt at that. All right. Well, then, without any further ado, here is the song. Pick a bar. The hell is pick a bar? Off the new album. I'm a stupid moron with an ugly face and a big butt, and my butt smells, and I like to kiss my own butt. Bye. Dr. Colossus! <laughs> Thing is. 
Metal Embassy is brought to you by me, Metal Chris, and DCHeavyMetal.com. I personally record, edit, and produce each episode for your listening pleasure. The Metal Embassy theme and credit music was written, recorded, and produced by Stefan Elie. The Metal Embassy logo was made by the Lord of the Logos, Christoph Spazgel. If you have questions, comments, criticism, or suggestions for future episodes, you can email me at dcheavymetal at gmail.com. This episode was recorded in Adobe Audition, and I used an ElectroVoice RE320 microphone. I conducted this episode's interview with John O'Colliver via Skype on May 27th, 2021, although it was already May 28th in Australia at that time. The song Pick a Bar was used with permission and can be purchased along with the rest of Dr. Colossus's discography at drcolossustheband.bandcamp.com. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the show. This episode went up a day late because I was sick earlier in the week and I still had to record some of my vocal parts. But the next episode's interview is already recorded and should be ready to go on time. That episode features an interview with someone in a unique black metal band from Bangladesh. Until next time, everyone, keep it metal.